If you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the AEC industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward taxpayer investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, Managing Principal of MCFA, and today we are lucky to sit down with our very own Brian Peeplow. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Bri, for everybody that's listening, the uh, theme of today's show is from HOK to HNTB to MCFA and everywhere in between in the alphabet. As okay. everybody knows, uh, lots of firms out there in the uh, AEC industry with uh, just a bunch of initials. So, as as we do with all guests, we'd love for you to share with our uh, audience what your story is and how you how you uh, worked your way through the AE industry and land it with our team at MCFA. Um, certainly. Uh, and a lo- long journey of uh, working with various uh, architecture, engineering, construction companies, as you mentioned, BJ. Uh, started out really right out of school, was in a co-op program, was doing land development, master planning, HOK, Dallas, Texas. Uh, moved on to join uh, HNTB in Austin, Texas, and uh, had the opportunity to manage my first project, a downtown a gateway access study in Austin, Texas. Uh, kind of expanded horizons into community planning, transportation planning, uh, NEPA and environmental documentation, major infrastructure programs, transit projects. Uh, relocated with the firm to uh, the Mid-Atlantic in 2000, and uh, when uh, our firm bought a, a land design and urban architecture firm called LDR International. Uh, met, first met Michael Furman uh, when I was in the federal space uh, with HNTB. Uh, Michael Furman uh, and had a small team on site at Aberdeen Proving Ground in Maryland, 2005, and had a chance to meet Mike and find out what uh, he was doing in his firm and was up to, and had a chance to engage MCFA on a number of assignments uh, to help with a military master planning, uh, form DD 1391s, capital investment strategies, and really got to know and admire Michael and the people. And BJ first had a chance to run across you, gosh, I believe now back in uh, 2015 or so, 2012, we were looking at doing some things together between our two firms to uh, help installations with the new uh, uniform facilities requirement for master planning and how to do it right and how to do it effectively. Uh, pleased to say I've had a chance to be with now my fifth year at MCFA. Fast time, forward. Time flies <laughs> when you're having fun. And uh, more importantly, we're doing, we're executing those area development plans and all for customers now with the Army and Army Reserve programs, uh, one up in Devons, Massachusetts. So putting our, uh, our money where our mouth is as far as where the rubber meets the road and doing effective mission and facility alignment and integration and military master plans. So happy to have come full circle with that. Awesome. Bri, talk to us a little bit about your early career, because I, I think you know, one of the things we talk about is is junior employees being able to get reps in a number of different environments and 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 giving them the professional experience to see what they like and and uh, what they don't like, but also getting that cross hybrid look at um, a bunch of different aspects of planning, especially private side versus public side. Um, do I remember correctly that you you had a co op program uh, with your degree? 
uh, you remember absolutely correctly, had the pleasure of going to the University of Cincinnati. And what was what's awesome about them, the University of Cincinnati actually founded the co-op programs back in uh, 1914 with the engineering school. And I was in the planning and architecture school, but it, it went across pretty much all the applied technical professional programs. And what's awesome about the pro co-op is I had a chance to work in both city government, city planning offices, doing historic preservation, uh, zoning and code enforcement, long range planning, and also had a chance to work with private architecture firms doing land development master planning. So really got a sense of the lay of the land, you know, what I liked, you know, what kind of work environments worked well and resonated with me where I could add a lot of value and really enjoy, you know, the co-workers. I ended up then going to my uh, last co-op employer. I had two assignments with them and went full time with them and then actually followed my boss from that firm over to another firm and early before I joined HNTB. So uh, I guess, BJ, I couldn't say enough about trying to get as broad a base of experience in project types in work environments and working with all different kinds of clients and customers as early and often as you can in your career. I still learn new things every day and challenges from clients and team members and all that. And it, it keeps it fresh. It keeps it Curiosity is a, uh, it, one, it's a core value at MCFA. And, Indeed. And two, and two, I think it's um, integral to being an effective profesh- professional, uh, especially in our industry. Well, and, uh, a satis- and a satisfying. It keeps it interesting. You know, it's it, never a dull moment and nothing is ever routine. <laughs> the, the way we like it. Um, moving from kind of the land development back and forth between federal government, how, how did you end up as, you know, really getting into the military master planning side of, of the planning industry? Sure. Excellent question. Uh, first assignments I had was actually uh, the firm I worked for, HNDB. We had a contract, an IDIQ, one of the open-ended indefinite delivery on-call contracts, Corps of Engineers, uh, Omaha District. Had a chance to both work on civil works projects as well as installation or military master planning projects uh, in the Midwest and the Omaha District's AOR. So really enjoyed that variety of work. You know, uh, had a chance to flex my historic preservation section 106 interest with a flood control project for Perry Creek flood improvements in Sioux City, Iowa on that project, and also to do get a chance to do installation master planning with Rosecrans uh, Air National Guard Base up in St. Joe, Missouri. So good exposure. Uh, fast forward, uh, the, the firm we were doing a lot of work at Fort Leonard Wood, had a chance to work with uh, that time uh, that round of BRACs, well, when the engineering school came in, excuse me, the engineering school came in from uh, Fort Belvoir to Fort Leonard Wood and really worked between the communities and the garrison about how to manage the impacts on the local community environment and make sure there, in fact, are quality housing environments for uh, personnel and families relocating and jobs for military spouses coming into the community. So that really gave me a chance to blend my my interest and background in both community and regional planning, but also military mission planning and kind of integrate those, what we used to call inside and outside the fence kind of collaborative planning. Um, formally switched over to the federal side of, of that firm when General Bob Flowers, who was retired uh, uh, USACE commander, uh, three-star general, came over to HNDB to start HNDB's full-time federal practice. So I was happy to be on the ground floor of that and kind of learned a lot from uh, from General Flowers, you know, and his team that he brought into on just really, you know, doing effective 
mission planning facilities, installations, infrastructure, all being in alignment, supporting each other. Um, it's, it's, I mean, I, I just have to share with everybody, like the, the chance I get to learn every day from Brian, I mean, he's, he's had so much exposure in the industry on both the business side, as well as the project development and planning side. We call planning project development at MCFA because, uh, planning should not be just about studying, but it's really setting projects up to be delivered. Uh, Brian, want to, want to share, because I think it's important. Uh, it was one of our first episodes. Brian is the one that came up with the moniker of DNA that has now been uh, translated to a lot of our marketing material and a lot of our process. And of course, is the uh, the the uh, outline for our, our podcast, Discover, Navigate and Accelerate. So, Brian, can you talk to us about uh, our approach at MCFA to project development? Uh, so, sure, BJ. I think DNA really was a uh, was a shared discovery uh, when you, Michael, and I were on a whiteboard together in the conference room and trying to tackle, um, you know, why hasn't a project moved forward for one of our clients? In this case, it was an infrastructure project, and what's missing? And, and I think what we discovered is what's missing is a lot of traditional architects, engineers, planners. You approach the world just from a technical track. And that's good, and that's a good foundation, but we forget about the financial track and the organizational dynamics. You know, every project lives within an ecosystem, you know, an organization with its own silos, its own business processes, its own uh, gatekeepers and guardrails. And you really need to have an effective accelerated project development by blending those three threads together. And we started drawing it and diagramming it. You know, I'm moving my hands right now, but, you know, it really becomes like a DNA strand. If you think about it, it's all interrelated and it's really core foundational to getting a project done. Uh, effectively getting the organizational buy-in around it and also then being able to be financed and built and constructed. Because uh, to your point, you know, none of us want to do planning just to have something sit on the shelf for planning sake. You know, we really want results. You know, if there's going to be an investment of time, energy, and money on the half of, a, of an organization, an agency, you know, it needs to get something out of it. And, and it's trying to solve a problem. And the problem's not solved when the study's done. The problem's solved when there's a benefit that the public can realize, you know, the user, whether it's a, a new train system, you know, an improved parking situation, you know, a new facility for a key military mission, you know, they didn't have before. So DNA was the way to kind of pull that all together and make it happen. And uh, we've been really applying this very aggressively for, I think, BJ, around the last three to four years now and seeing real, real results out of it. Agree. Uh, I don't know if this project will, uh, I know we're, we're, we're deep in this with the, uh, VA Long Beach. Uh, but speaking of discover, navigate, accelerate the, uh, the crux or the, the juice of the show comes from this navigate section. So would love for you to share with our audience, uh, the hardest challenge you've had to navigate in a project or a leadership lesson on the business side. I think, you know, whether it's a small business, big business or a project team, uh, I think anything that you could share with our audience uh, from your experience, a good war story. Okay, sure. Uh, may change the names to protect the innocent or the guilty, but uh, no, I, I think, I think uh, again, going back to kind of DNA, most projects, uh, uh, most really good and important projects, unfortunately suffer a thousand deaths. Um, 
and and uh, you know if if we're lucky they're resurrected again but you know why why does that happen you know and oftentimes what we're seeing is it's it's organizational dynamics um is there a champion in the organization that's really pushing this forward you know are there political champions you know because publicly funded projects need public support you know from public leadership uh, you know, who are willing to, you know, fight for this project and the importance of this project, you know, against competing funding priorities and competing constituent priorities. Um, and I think, BJ, you know, I'm thinking of whether it's a transit infrastructure project, trying to do a new uh, light rail project, trying to do a, a look at surplus real estate assets or trying to recover from a superstorm Sandy or so, you know, organizations continually and unfortunately, and, and not intentionally, but get in the way of their own progress. Uh, you know, they're, they're siloed a lot of times. Uh, you know, and this is true on the military side as well. You know, there's chains of command, um, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, unless there's that champion, uh, you know, that's willing to work it and find a way to navigate through that labyrinth, think of it as a maze, you know, to get to that uh, endpoint, you know, a project is is going to die. Uh, a lot of times, you know, I know we find ourselves uh, having to help that champion, you know, really do that and to get there. It's like a, a you know, think of it as a as a relay race, you know, and we do handoffs with each other. And I think some of our biggest success. I mean, you mentioned uh, our, our project we're doing now for the Veterans Administration out of Long Beach Medical Center. Uh, we're, you know, we're helping them promote two major projects that are critically important uh, to the care of veterans and to the greater L.A. area. Um, but, you know, if you just do the project the conventional way, it's going to take 10, 12, 15 years to get done. And, uh, you know, the, the, the needs are so important, you can't wait for that. So, again, how do you navigate? And in that case, as an example... Uh, advocacy groups and stakeholder interests and potential partners can really help you carry the water, uh, can help promote and advance the project. Because in many times, you know, our, our, our agencies can't do that themselves. They're either constrained by laws or conventions, you know, that they can't promote or quote unquote lobby for or advocate for their project. So you need to find uh, other partners. Um, that's kind of a lot of examples meshed into one one story. Uh, apologies for that. But uh, essentially, you know, partners are everything and champions are the key. I know you and I and uh, some of our champions did a session at the Society of American Military Engineers at the Small Business Conference uh, uh, this this last uh, fall. And, you know, that, that was a key thing we were emphasizing. You know, we called them agency entrepreneurs or somebody who really is creatively thinking and wanting to get a project done and be a champion. I know, BJ, we hesitate when we have opportunities to work for somebody where that organization doesn't embody that culture because it's harder to be successful for them and for us. Amen. You have to have the, uh, as, as Brian likes to put it, the how yes mentality. How do we, how do we make this happen? How can we be successful? Um, and, and to quote Michael Furman, how do you take projects through the Valley of no up the mountain of, we can't because they are going to die a hundred deaths and you need that champion, uh, to continuously with our support, be, uh, breathing life into it. Um, so I, I, I can't agree with you more the importance of, of those project champions, and I think, you know, that's one of the inspirations for the show is really highlighting those public champions that do step out a little further, take on a little more risk, 
uh, show a little more in energy and enthusiasm and, and really steward the investments uh, and the missions that they're, they're uh, responsible for. So moving into our acceleration round, Brian, rapid fire okay. questions. Uh, first one, maybe not so rapid, current event, public policy or society issue you are actively involved with. Mm. Um, I think you had mentioned it at the kind of the top of the uh, podcast, uh, just really making sure there's good stewardship of public resources and taxpayer dollars. I mean, I'm passionate about that. You know, we're all taxpayers. Uh, we all see challenges with how decisions are made to spend money. You know, we all have different opinions on that and the roles of government and public funding and finance and projects. But making sure those investments do generate a real public return uh, and a real good ROI or business cases is a, is a personal passion of mine. I just I. You know, life is too short. Uh, you know, we don't have unlimited resources. We've got to make the most impact of what we have and and what we're doing. Uh, I think secondarily to that, I think one of the things, and you know, BJ have talked about this before, but what's missing in a lot of the conventional planning, particularly on the military side, is a failure to align mission requirements with facilities and installation plans. In other words, they tend to be done in a vacuum. And, you know, the whole reason to have an, a military installation or to have a plan is to support the mission, you know, improve its readiness, its reliability and its resiliency. And it makes me insane and crazy when I see planners out there, or engineers or architects doing work, just following their own process, their blinders on and not appearing to be cognizant of we're doing this for the mission, <laughs> support the warfighters, support the RDT&E community. And so very, very passionate about that. So all you AEs out there that are not mission focused, do not call MCFA because we probably won't answer the call. Well, uh, we'll, ma we'll make you crazy because we'll be, <laughs> uh, we'll be pushing mission, mission, mission and all that. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, I guess it's no accident that a lot of the customers we work with are mission specific tenants and helping them move their facilities along and advance their projects. Yeah. Mission focused and champions. Uh, next question, favorite quote and why? Oh goodness. Uh, the, the one I like is, is that we've shared earlier in one of our weekly emails, but you know, nothing takes the place of, of perseverance and persistence, you know, that the talent will not, you know, there are many talented men's. I, I don't know the whole quote that's attributed to Calvin Coolidge, but, uh, but again, you know, persistence, perseverance, it's, it's key. Amen. We will uh, make sure we get the exact quote in the show notes. Most gifted book or a book that you would recommend to the entire audience? Wow. Uh, it depends. Uh, there's just so many good books and stories. I mean, I, as you, you know, are too, I, I read a, an awful lot. I, you know, I, I can't absorb enough. Um, I think, uh, you know, lately, obviously, uh, focusing on essentialism, you know, and, and the one thing and some of the just, you know, making sure priorities in your life are focused. Um, you know, we had the discussion today, you know, we could defer a meeting so you could take your daughter into kindergarten. You know, I mean, there, there's, right. you, know, you know, what's most important in life and, you know, what are those temporal things? So keeping that, it's, it's great, empowering and inspiring. It's a great book. Highly recommended, Essentialism. Uh, and get the audio book because the uh, the author is uh, British and sounds so much better when he's he's reading it to you. Uh, dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day, 
who would they be and what would you do? Oh, wow. Well, Daniel Burnham, you know, who's, who's, uh, obviously inspirational to a lot of uh, planners and architects just for, you know, make no small plans. They have no magic to stir men's blood, you know, would be awesome to hang out with, uh, Robert Moses, uh, you know, New York city public works, uh, director and commissioner who got a lot of Star. stuff done, you know, executed, uh, just a lot of projects. And then, uh, Edmund Bacon, who I did have a chance to listen to in lectures in 1979 and in college, uh, you know, who was the city planner for Philadelphia and had, uh, kind of big vision, big plans, and really focused on neighborhoods and, you know, livable communities, uh, focus. So, uh, so for all of them would love to talk about kind of their concepts of, of planning and, not as an abstract, but more as a people centric, uh, you know, inspiring people in places, you know, which is our kind of core mission at MCFA. Uh, you know, they, they did that. They were able to achieve that. And how did they do that and learn from them? You know, I, I love learning from mentors and continue to learn from mentors to this day. Is there a specific city you would want to hang out with each of them in? Well, uh, Burnham would be great in Chicago, obviously, because the work he did there, obviously Edmund Bacon in Philadelphia, just walking around with his perspective, uh, you know, in Philadelphia and Robert Moses in New York City, you know, so their home turf, you know, there's a there's a home turf advantage, you know, you get to to really um, uh, kind of hear from their eyes. You know, I, I love Cook's tours. You know, yeah. had, the, had the pleasure and the opportunity to work at Arlington Cemetery and do master planning there and just walking around with the superintendents, you know, and lifelong staff who'd work there and just, you know, the stories and understanding the place and the feeling, you know, I mean, people don't think about it, but places are, are living, breathing beings, you know, they're not just fabric or buildings or inert inorganic objects, you know, they're full of people and places and stories. It's, you know, it's, it's life. We're going to go off script here because I think the audience has got to hear about the uh, the Kennedy uh, anniversary uh, project at Arlington National Cemetery, and and I'll tell you why this came up. You you just mentioned Arlington National Cemetery, and the next question is, what do you want on your tombstone? Hmm. Um, on my tombstone, and actually some of my friends have already said what's going to be on there, that he helped a lot of people and made a difference. So I've, I've already had some friends and family write that for me from my tombstone. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, <laughs> but, uh, no, no, I, I, I do enjoy, you know, making a difference in, in people's lives. So I'm honored and flattered. Um, the story about, uh, Arlington cemetery obviously had a chance to work with the Corps of engineers, Norfolk district and the chief engineer at the time, uh, Pete Riley on a number of projects there and, and really Norfolk and, and, our team were brought in to really help, you know, this was after 2012, a new executive director came in regime to really revive the cemetery because unfortunately, like many of our national treasures and places, it had suffered from a lack of funding, lack of attention and neglect. And, and, uh, this was really all about bringing Arlington back to the, the, uh, stature and the prominence that it needed and deserved, you know, in our country and our history and for our veterans and our war heroes. But uh, the Kennedy Memorial, we were coming up on the 50th anniversary and the eternal flame, like many parts of the cemetery had, uh, you know, served for many years and was really at the end of its useful life. I mean, literally um, some of the components were being held together by duct tape. 
down below the vault for the actual eternal flame. And, and it wasn't, uh, it had really ceased to function and there were no replacement parts that had been originally uh, uh, designed by a, an employee at Washington Gas Service. You know, the actual flame and the torch itself, they were out of their replacement parts. So we had to call in the actual guy who originally designed the original torch flame. He machined this in his, in his shop, you know, in the back of his house. And he walks in with this uh, uh, new torch. It's swaddled like a baby, you know, and he kind of unfolded it on the table. And it was just this beautiful, beautifully made machine piece, you know, this two inch uh, torch and tube and it had some more modern components on it to control the flame. And, you know, and, and, uh, obviously we had to replace the existing projects. So, um, you know, the, the new installation was made and, but, but both Mr. Riley and I, you know, we both had to, we had our standby tickets to Austria, uh, excuse me, to Austria in case, uh, or Argentina in case the flame didn't stay lit because, you know, eternal flames need to stay lit eternally. And literally the day of the 50th anniversary of, uh, of the president's assassination, you know, there was all the cameras there and there were ceremonies and speeches at the gravesite. And the flame was when I was watching the flame just with tepidation, making sure to, I hope that that thing, cause we had the new project installed by then, you know, the new torch, right? Sure. Hope that sucker stays lit, you know, because uh, it was kind of rainy and misty out. It was, you know, November kind of cold Washington day. So it's like, fortunately the flame has stayed lit ever since. So In, important story. And I, I joke with Brian all the time. He's, he's been involved in projects from department of defense, education activity to the VA healthcare center to, uh, I think you did a military Milcon uh, hospital project. So, so truly cradled a grave of our soldiers. Um, and, and I will reiterate and, and I guess go ditto on Brian's uh, tombstone there. He's helped a lot of people. He continues to help us at MCFA and uh, he's going to help you with his last comment here. So Brian, in uh, the tradition of the Philadelphia Eagles, Andy Reed, the time is yours. What would you like to share with our audience? Man, keep fighting the good fight. Uh, you know, it, it, believe in what you're doing. Be passionate about it, and and just bring that creativity and that energy and that dynamism, and and it's infectious. You'll bring others with you. Uh, you know, and and just make the most out of every day of your life. You know, BJ, as you know, I lost my father this year. You know, and that was a very personal experience. You know, and just. I mean, he made the most out of his life every single day. He soared, he hand glided, he, you know, parachuted out of airplanes. He had a private pilot's license. He sailed across the Atlantic, you know, true adventurer. I mean, I wish I had half the adventurous spirit, but I do have all the passion and the energy and I did inherit his nerdiness in engineering and problem solving. So for that, I'm very grateful, but yes, and, make the and most handiness. out of every day. And your handiness. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I love home got, improvement projects. I think you projects, got that, yeah. that legacy from your father as well. Great. All right, Brian. Well, this has been fun. Thanks so much, everybody. Uh, if you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People in Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite po podcast hosting platform. <laughs> We'd greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants. Uh, check out MCFA and Brian Peeplo, our COO at mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter, check out our case studies, and also check out our job openings. We are hiring junior and senior positions. Uh, if you're a core value match, and we are dead set on core value match, uh, take a look at our, our opportunities. Uh, come have fun with us, share our passion for the industry and for making the world a better place. And 
inspiring people in places. Until next time, have a great rest of your week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.